0: facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome to Wednesday, and it's a wonderful one on The Kale Clark Show. It's the octave of Easter. So happy that you're with me. We're going to have a great show today. Why don't you call in right now? Grab a line while you can. 888 9149 You can also email the show. Always great to hear from you. Time permitting, I will get to a very interesting listener question that was sent to me via email if you want to message me the address is k-l-c-a-l-e at relevantradio.com and you can follow me also on twitter at kale clark, c-a-l-e clark with an e and speaking of twitter if you saw the social media post for today's show either on twitter or facebook or instagram you saw an incredible graphic and shout out to the great john Hanready who does these graphics for the show just just amazing Today's episode is called Jesus and the New York Times. So he's got a really cool newspaper-ish graphic. Check it out. I don't want to spoil it, but it's really good, even with a little fake story on the front. Very nice. And I'm kind of an old-school guy. I love newspapers. I love radio. Obviously, we're on the radio. Radio is far from dead. In fact, stats show that young people are really picking up on radio. So that's why I'm super excited about Relevant Radio continuing to expand. We want to reach more souls as many as possible for Christ through the media that's what we're all about. And what we're all about on the Cale Clark show is really living at the intersection of faith and culture and so we want to really have as an old Protestant theologian, very famous one from the 20th century, Karl Barth, as he used to say, when you're when you're preparing anything to do with the faith, a talk, a sermon or anything like that, you should really have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And so sometimes those overlaps between faith and culture, can really create some magic and and get people thinking about the faith. And so we're going to be talking about an article in the New York Times uh, on Jesus, which I thought was really intriguing, and some stuff that you see in the newspapers during Easter week or leading up to Easter, it's questioning the faith, it's kind of negative, it's a, it's a bad take, it's a misinformed take. This one was a good take, and I can't wait to share it with you. And then later in the show, <laughs> I think we'd probably all agree, maybe you wouldn't agree, but tipping culture is really getting out of hand in American society. It's really getting out of hand. In fact, I've got a story for you. I could not believe this that I came across. It's a true story about a woman who was asked to give a tip when she went to the doctor's office paying her bill. She was she was charged automatically a 15% tip. You are not going to believe this story. How much is too much? Has this gone too far? <laughs> Have you ever been asked to tip your doctor? I know I haven't so far. Maybe some doctors out there want to weigh in on this. Eight 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 914 9149 We'll talk about that later in the show uh, for sure. But let me get to this story uh, in the New York Times. It's the K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, Eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. 914 9149 And it was an interview that was done. And, and by the way, shout out to Nick Senevich, uh, one of the producers at Relevant Radio. He sent me this story. Really appreciate that, Nick. And uh, it's an interview that was done between a leading Bible scholar and theologian, uh, not Catholic, but he's super well-known, even amongst Catholics. And he was interviewed by um, Tish Harrison Warren, who writes a regular newsletter for the New York Times on faith and and faith-related topics. Now, she is an Anglican priest. And we're not going to get into that whole women in the priesthood thing today, although she's not Catholic uh, the Anglican priesthood is not a valid priesthood. Anyways, we we, we could talk about that another time, but nonetheless, I, I'm always appreciative when faith is talked about, when Christianity is talked about in the public square, especially if it's a good take. Um, so, Tish Harrison Morrison, T- Tish Harrison Morrison, that's not even her name. Tish Harrison Warren, that's right. I need to call the Warren Commission in on this, but um, Tish Harrison Warren interviewed Nicholas Thomas Wright better known as N.T. Wright. Uh, He's a biblical scholar. Sometimes he's known colloquially as Tom Wright. But professionally, Nicholas Thomas Wright goes by N.T. Wright. And if you're a Bible scholar, if you're a theologian, that's a very fortuitous first name and middle name because obviously N.T., that's the abbreviation for the New Testament. So New Testament Wright. Uh, or wrong as we uh, depending on your perspective on this guy but I, I think I think his, his takes are generally pretty good not not everybody agrees with everything that he says but uh, he's also an Anglican. Uh, he's a New Testament scholar he's, he's uh, from uh, from uh, the UK very well known especially as a Pauline scholar scholar on St Paul. He was the Anglican Bishop of Durham from 2003 to 2010. He's, he was the research professor of New Testament and early Christianity at St. Mary's College at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland until 2019. He is now Senior Research Fellow at Wycliffe Hall at the University of Oxford. So this, this guy's a major heavyweight scholar. He's written over 70 books, very highly regarded, and probably most famous for the series of books that he wrote called Christian Origins and the Question of God. In volume number three, volume four was kind of his, sort of the the mountaintop experience for him, because the scholar of St. Paul, it's all about St. Paul. It's called Paul and the Faithfulness of God. But the third volume in the set, which came out in 2003, it's called The Resurrection of the Son of God. Now, this, this is a big book. In fact, I've got it right in front of me. I'm picking it up right now. This is a good workout. This thing is over 800 pages long. With footnotes, with bibliography, with the index—I mean, this is this is a monster. This is a monster, and it goes into all kinds of of stuff on resurrection in the ancient world and the pagan world. Did pagans think about this? What's the Jewish tradition of, of resurrection? What's the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus? The New Testament evidence? What did Saint Paul say about it? Everything is in there. This, this is a big, big book, and uh, I, I've got a I've got a real hard copy of that, and I bought it right when it came out. Uh, way back when. And so everybody knows N.T. Wright. Everybody respects N.T. Wright. In fact, when I went to the SBL conference a few years ago in Baltimore, it was in Baltimore that year. uh, It stands for the Society of Biblical Literature. Think think about a Star Trek convention for Star Trek geeks. Okay. This is like the Bible geek convention and not just geeks. I mean, we're not all geeks, right? Are we geeks? We probably are. But anyways, it's a good thing. It, or it's like a Comic-Con convention for, for people interested in the Bible. All the top Bible scholars are there. It's a huge festival. Got this big, big hall. It's usually at a huge conference center. Thousands of people come to this. All and One of the best things about it is are the book tables and the book sales there. It's just awesome. It's so much fun. It's like Christmas. It's like getting candy in your stocking. It's great. So I was there that year with uh, Dr. Craig Evans and... We were kind of just walking around, and then NT Wright came into the building. It was kind of like Elvis coming into the building. I mean, this was everybody once. Oh, is that him? Is that NT Wright? Is that people were kind of whispering, and 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 soon enough, people recognized him. I and mean, he just kind of wanted to be incognito. He's probably attending some of the sessions, but everyone started kind of following him around. What what displays is he going to look at? What books is he looking at? They wanted to ask him questions, students, fans, whatever. So we, we kind of we noticed him there. And so he's, he's a big deal. He's a big deal. And so he was interviewed in the New York Times about Easter, and he went to great, great lengths. And this is what really pleased me about this interview. He went to great lengths to confirm that, hey, the early Christians, the early church, when they talked about resurrection, they totally meant bodily resurrection. This was not a symbol. It's not like the flowers coming up every spring. It's not like the lilies. That's not what it's all about. And let me ask you this, as you're listening to the K.O. Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. When you were growing up, let me ask you this, or heck, even now, maybe you heard something like this during an Easter homily this past weekend from the priest or deacon, bishop, whoever might have been preaching were they preaching about the literal, bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead? Or did, did, they, did they sort of preach that it was kind of a spiritual resurrection? I, I, I don't think this is a very commonplace occurrence anymore. But it certainly was when I was growing up, this sort of metaphorical take on Easter, which is not legit. Uh, tragic misperception of the resurrection. But there's a lot at stake here. There's so much at stake here. And I'm really glad that N.T. Wright, when he was talking to the New York Times, uh, Tish Harrison Warren was interviewing him. They really made a big deal about the physicality of the resurrection, 888 So he was asked, why Why is the concept that this was an actual event, a physical, a historical event? Why, why does that matter? And so N.T. Wright said this, quote, he said, I'm well aware that many people, including some in churches, have treated the resurrection and Easter as a general way of talking about the rebirth of hope or a spiritual metaphor. Indeed, in the New Testament, sometimes the idea of resurrection is, is used metaphorically to talk about a new moral life, a life where everything is going to be different. But that is always rooted in the claim that when they're talking about resurrection, when they're talking about the resurrection of Jesus, this is something that actually happened. And he he mentioned that the word in Greek, and the New Testament, of course, was written in Greek. It's the word Anastasis. So if you've ever met anybody with the name Anastasia, a a gal with the name of Anastasia, that's what it means. It means the resurrection, or uh, it's very common for Greek men to be named Anastasis. So it means resurrection. It was never about this idea of, of a symbolic rebirth or a new hope or anything like that. It was about people being bodily dead now being discovered to be bodily alive. And this is really what he talks about in the book, that all the early Christians, right up until at least 150 years after the resurrection of Jesus, whenever they talked about resurrection, that's exactly what they were talking about. So none of these other ideas were even in play uh, in in the church in in the beginning. They knew it was a physical resurrection. But sadly, that perspective that's just a metaphor it's just spiritual quote unquote what used to be so pervasive and I'm not a big poetry guy I'll be the first to admit that but I I think I've written my wife exactly one love poem but it was really really good it was that was it was almost like I can't do better than this so I'm done but um, sorry honey but one of my favorite poems they're actually good poems is one by John Updike, the famous writer, John Updike. And if memory serves me correctly, he actually, I think he wrote in this poem in a contest uh, at his local parish Or It was like, write a poem about Easter. So he actually entered the contest. I don't, I don't even know if he won. Maybe you guys can look that up for me, 888-914-9149. Um, it me of that notion if I'm wrong, if my memory is faulty. But John Updike wrote a poem called Seven Stanzas at Easter, that's one of my favorite poems. And it really encaptures this idea that the resurrection has to be real. Now, check this out. I'm going to read the poem to you. He writes, Make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecules re-knit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. And just to interject there, that, that's, he's bang on about that. That's what St. Paul said. And by the way, uh, if you're interested, all this week on the Faith Explained show at 1230 Central, a little cross-promotion here, uh, we're talking about Easter evidence, about evidence for the resurrection, hopefully the kind of evidence that would convince a skeptic. It doesn't depend on the person you're talking to admitting that they think the Bible is the Word of God or anything like that. We're just talking about facts, a set of facts that virtually all independent scholars agree upon, no matter what they believe facts that happen at Easter time. You got to explain these facts somehow. How do you explain it? Well, I think the best explanation is resurrection. So today we talked about what St. Paul said about the resurrection. One of the things he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. In fact, a whole bunch of terrible consequences follow from this, including the fact that we're all just wasting our time here. He said, if, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Party on Wayne, party on Garth. There, there is no meaning to this life, other than any kind of pleasure we can get out of it, if there is no future hope, if there is no resurrection. But he did rise from the dead. And he goes on to talk about it. But back, back to the poem by uh, John Updike, Seven Stanzas at Easter. He says, quote, It was not as the flowers, each soft spring recurrent. It was not as his spirit in the mouths and fuddled eyes of the eleven apostles. It was as his flesh, ours. The same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced, died, withered, paused, and then regathered out of enduring might, new strength to enclose. Let us not mock God with metaphor, analogy, sidestepping transcendence. Making of the event a parable, a sign painted in the faded credulity of earlier ages. Let us walk through the door. The stone is rolled back, not paper mache, not a stone in a story, but the vast rock of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. And if we have an angel at the tomb, make it a real angel. Weighty with Max Planck's quanta, vivid with hair, opaque in the dawn light, robed in real linen, spun on a definite loom. Let us not seek to make it less monstrous, for our own convenience, our own sense of beauty. Lest awakened in one unthinkable hour, we are embarrassed by the miracle, and crushed by remonstrance. So that's the poem, uh, seven stanzas at Easter by John Updike, which he wrote in nineteen sixty this idea, let's not mock God with metaphor. It's not a metaphor. It, it's, not, it's not some sort of a, uh, an image. Uh, if he rose at all, it was as his body. I mean, this had, this had to have actually happened. And so N.T. Wright said uh, in the New York Times, he said, look, when you're, when you're talking about the resurrection of Jesus, it's, not, it's beyond question that his first followers used this language of resurrection. They're talking about his being bodily alive. Now, it's in a different way. It's in a new way, as he says, quote, He seemed to have gone through death and out the other side, but into a new world in which he was emphatically embodied. Unless we are prepared to acknowledge that, we're simply not taking their words seriously. And then he goes on to say, Then as now, claiming that somebody was alive again, particularly somebody who made the sort of claims that Jesus made or were made about him, that was revolutionary. It was dangerous talk. So if people don't like dangerous talk, then stay away from Easter is my advice, end of quote. Yeah, that's that's very true. I mean, Jesus claimed to be the only way to the Father. He he said some pretty amazing things about himself. And this is why there's even, there's a handful of uh, of Jewish scholars of the New Testament as well. And one of them, uh, Pincus Lapide, he, he actually believes that Jesus was physically resurrected from the dead. He doesn't believe that he's the Messiah. I don't know why, but... But he he actually believes that Jesus was physically raised. Well, I would say to that guy that the resurrection is kind of the Father's divine stamp of approval on Jesus' message and his mission. If he raises this guy from the dead, it's basically saying, yeah, you 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 can bank on everything that he told you about himself, about how to get to God. You can take it to the bank. And the proof is I've raised him from the dead. So that, that's the ultimate good housekeeping seal of approval on, on, his mis, on his mission, on his person, on his message, the resurrection. So it's dangerous. That is dangerous. And we know it was dangerous for the early Christians. All of the early disciples, all the early apostles were martyred, except for John, who died in advanced age. But he certainly suffered his fair share, that's for sure. Uh, not to mention many others outside of the apostolic band who were martyred. But it, this, was, um, this is a tough thing to explain. This is a tough thing to explain and if you were if you were inventing and this is one thing I uh, I mentioned on the faith explain if you're making up a faith if you're trying to make up a story to draw disciples after yourself or make yourself to be out to be somebody important you're not going to make up a story about somebody raising being raised physically from the dead it's too easy to disprove just open up the tomb where is the body well there was an empty tomb but you're, you if you're going to make up the story you you're, you're going to say you had a vision you had a dream there are all kinds of incidences like that in the Bible, in the Old Testament, people even in the New Testament, St. Joseph and his dreams. So, but that's not what they said. They claimed resurrection. That's a lot harder to prove. That's a lot harder to prove. And so this is what actually happened. And one of the things that anti um, Wright was asked about, by the way, in the New York Times was this idea that in the Jewish faith, they did believe in resurrection. There's no question about that, that quote-unquote, orthodox, rightly-believing Jews in the first century believed in the... Some didn't. Like, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe in heaven. They didn't believe in angels. They just thought death was the end. So sad, you see. But I know, I had to say it. But but one of the things that they believed about resurrection was that it was going to happen at the end of time, at the end of days. So the idea of somebody being resurrected in time... And time rolls on. It's not the end of the world. That was a radical thought. That was a radical thought. And I think one of the reasons why Jesus did it that way, you have to admit, a lot of people want to accuse us, Christians in general, but specifically Catholics, especially when it comes to, the, to our, our talk on morality, we're often accused of being retrograde. People say things like, don't, don't you know the world morality has moved on from your ancient moralistic rules and regulations? Like People will say things like that to us. But in actuality, we're, we're not retrograde. We're actually futuristic. We are living the future life. And the future life is the life of the kingdom. It's the values of the kingdom of God. And how do we know that? Because God has given proof of that. He's raised Jesus from the dead. And, and as if to say, this is the way, <laughs> to quote the Mandalorian. Well, he was really quoting Jesus. This is the way. This is the way. Pedro Pascal, understand this. This is the way. That this is the way of the future. This is the way we're all going to be living in the future, in the new heavens, the new earth. Don't ask me what that's going to look like. God's going to make it happen. There's a new heaven. New earth says the, in Revelation that the heavenly Jerusalem descends from heaven to earth like a bride. Adorned for her husband. There's going to be a wedding, a union of heaven and earth. We're going to be living in resurrected, glorified bodies till the end of, for all eternity. Never, it's never going to end. And that, that is very exciting. And we will be living by these rules, these, they're not rules, it's freedom, the perfect law that gives freedom. And this is what it talks about. These are the values of the kingdom of God. So it's the fact that this is broken into time. God is saying, you guys need to start living this way now and spreading this message to the world now. And that's essentially what the, the evangelization of the, of the church was all about. And so it's just really powerful stuff. And I want to talk more about this, but we've got to get out. We've got to take a break right now. 888 What's your reaction to this? What's your take on this? The scriptures in the New York Times, Jesus in the New York Times, the resurrection in the New York Times. I love it. He's front page news again, as he should be. It's Cale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Be right back. This is the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888 914 9149 is the number to call to talk to me for free. 888 914 9149. You can also follow me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C A L E, Clark with an E. Email the show, kale at relevantradio.com. We're talking about an article in the New York Times, uh, an interview with a British theologian, N.T. Wright, a very fortuitous name for somebody who studies the New Testament, or the N.T. as it's known, N.T. Wright, Nicholas Thomas Wright, who wrote a a massive tome called The Resurrection of the Son of God. It's over 800 pages long. I've got it right in front of me. And and he was interviewed by Tish Harrison Warren in the New York Times, and she asked him this. She said, quote, You spend time in the book looking at Jesus' post-resurrection appearances in the Gospels. It seems like the disciples' testimony about seeing Jesus matters to you. Yeah. Uh, Why why do you trust their testimony? And and N.T. Wright said this, If you understand how people thought about death and life after death in the ancient world, you're going to need two strands of converging evidence. On the one hand, there are extraordinary reports about people going to the tomb of Jesus and finding that there was no body in it. In that world, grave robbery was a common occurrence, so an empty tomb by itself says, this is odd, but we can tell some stories about this that are much more credible than the idea that he's alive again. However, if at the same time this person turns up and is seen and felt to be bodily alive and speaks to people and cooks breakfast by the shore, that's a reference to John chapter 21, kind of the restoration of Peter, the the breakfast by the shore then that is totally unexpected as well. Those two things kind of interpret one another. We know many experiences that people have, where where it seems like they've seen an angel or something like that. And, And even he talks about how that was not uncommon in the New Testament world either. And in fact, there's a very funny passage in the Acts of the Apostles where Peter, they think Peter's been killed. They're all kind of scared and hiding out, just like they did when Jesus was arrested. And then there's a knock on the door. An angel has sprung Peter free from prison. He gets out and he walks right out, walks to this home where the disciples are hiding out, knocks on the door. A servant girl named Rhoda comes to the door and says, oh, she's." Peter's like, hello. She just kind of shuts the door on him and can't believe it's him. Goes back, I think Peter's out there. No, nah, no, it's got to be his angel. It's got to be his guardian angel. No, but it's really him. He's still knocking. Come on, guys, let me in. It's cold out here. So... They, th- they think it's kind of a, an angelic visitation, as N.T. Wright explains, but it, but it really wasn't in that case. It was Peter. So people did have this idea of, of purely spiritual beings out there, of course, but that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about the resurrection. And so he, he really kind of explains that basically what he's saying is that an empty tomb alone does not a resurrection make. Because there was. And I know this because in, in examining first century tombs in, in, in Israel, I've seen some of these things. And unfortunately, a lot of the tombs that I visited, they had been robbed centuries ago. Grave robbing was so common. So, and this is exactly what Mary Magdalene thinks happened to, to Jesus. When Jesus is standing there, she thinks it's the gardener. We saw this in the Gospel yesterday. And who are you looking for? Oh come on. I'm looking for, if you, if you if you hit him somewhere, if you are taken the body, just tell me. Just tell me. And then he goes, Mary, oh, it's you, Jesus. Okay. But he's kind of playing it in some ways a practical joke on her at some level. But but this was very common. That's why she's saying, Where'd you take the body? Because grave robbery did happen. So an empty tomb alone is not it. But the empty tomb plus the appearances, the evidence of appearances, that, that's that's a tough combo to overcome if you're a skeptic. Because this is, this is amazing, and Wright points this out. I talked about it on The Faith Explained as well uh, earlier today. You can check the podcast at relevantradio.com and on the app. St. Paul talks about all the people that Jesus appeared to after the resurrection. And in one of those appearances, he appeared to 500 people, more than 500 people, all at one time. And he says most of them are still alive. In other words, you can go ask them. You can interview, If you don't believe me, go interview them. They can't all be making this up. And it's, it. by the way, there's no such thing as a mass hallucination. People want to say, oh, they just were all hallucinating. No, they weren't. You can't share a hallucination. You can't do that. It's medically impossible. All the literature that's out there, it's not possible to share a hallucination with someone else. Plus, all of these appearances, Jesus offers to be touched. People can touch him. He's got a physical body. He's got the wounds of his ordeal. He can do interesting things. Like It seems like he appears and disappears and shows up again in another place. We see this in... Today's gospel from Luke 24, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they're doubting, they're dejected, they're despondent, they've left the town, they just have given up. And Jesus is talking with them the whole time, and they don't recognize him. And I'm not sure what why that was, whether he was wearing a hoodie or something, or I don't know. But they eventually recognize him in the breaking of the bread. And some have theorized that, well, why didn't Jesus just stay in his physically resurrected body and just kind of keep making appearances whenever we needed him? Why didn't he just stay for the end of human history and keep doing that? Why after 40 days did you have to ascend into heaven? Well, one of the reasons is, I think it's probably a good guess, it might not be the answer, but his physical bodily presence would kind of distract us from his Eucharistic presence, which is also real. It's the real presence, body, blood, soul, and divinity, but under the appearances of bread and wine and that I think that's a good guess because we would be tempted to say well when's he gonna show up next rather than focusing on the gift of the Eucharist and so there's no way And anti Wright says in, in, in the interview that there's no way that this movement would have kept going without the resurrection there were so many other would-be messiahs in Jesus's day there's this guy named Thutis some of these guys are even mentioned in the Bible there's a guy named Thutis there's this guy known as the Egyptian there were all these Messianic claimants that were out there that tried to get a following, tried to get people to, to follow them. One guy even did a symbolic crossing of the Jordan River, just like Joshua in the Old Testament. And, and the idea is, you know, I, I, we're, we're taking over here. We're taking back the Holy Land from the Romans. Well, most of the time, the Romans caught wind of these guys. They were all killed. And then all their followers ran away. And that did happen to Jesus. All of his followers ran away when he was arrested, except for Mary and John, faithful at the foot of the cross, some of the other women at a distance weeping, but everybody else ran away. And that undoubtedly would have continued to be the case had he not been raised from the dead. That's why they go from being scaredy cats to being willing to be martyrs for the faith, like Peter. Like James, who was called the brother of the Lord. And we, we talked about James on another Faith Explained series called Bonding with James. You can check it in the archives at relevantradio.com. Hopefully it's still there. And James is known, and and N.T. Wright brings up this point in the New York Times. He talked about how Josephus, a very famous first century historian, he was in Jerusalem when James was killed in the 60s, in the first century, the decade of the 60s. And he calls James the brother of the so-called Messiah, Jesus. And why why, on earth would he still be leading this movement in Jerusalem? He's kind of the bishop of Jerusalem if if the Messiah, in fact, was was executed. An executed Messiah is a failed Messiah, as N.T. Wright says. So I don't think it would have continued uh, had he not been resurrected. And so they they kind of um, end off the interview in the New York Times. Tish Harrison Warren asked N.T. Wright, was he ever... A guy who was skeptical of the resurrection himself. And he kind of said he was when he was in his middle or late teens. He heard all kinds of sermons where people talked about uh, this idea of what, what's, what's the afterlife about? Just quote unquote going to heaven. It's kind of a Platonic ideal, it's kind of a disembodied existence. And this idea of Jesus being physically raised from the dead wasn't really part of the deal. But then he, he started reading uh, C.S. Lewis's book, Miracles which is a really good book, by the way. Uh, When N.T. Wright was studying at Oxford, he read C.S. Lewis's book called Miracles. And he talked about how Lewis is really, really good on explaining the appearances of the risen Jesus and how his body was different. People didn't quite recognize him at first. It was him, but it was different. There's continuity, there's discontinuity. And this is a new kind of existence. It's embodied, but it's a resurrection body. It's a glorified body. And N.T. Wright said, that's not what I heard about growing up in sermons. I never heard about this. All I heard about was what the ancient hymn says, you asked me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. And this idea of, oh, you got to just ask Jesus to come into your heart. Well, that's not what the Bible talks about. That's not what the Bible talks about. Yeah, when we receive the Holy Spirit, and that happens at baptism, Christ does live within our heart, our soul in a state of grace, obviously, but the truth of the resurrection is way beyond that. This is an actual historical event that happened that got the whole thing going. And so just the last question that he was asked there uh, in the New York Times was N.T. Wright was asked about how, okay, all right, let's say what the gospel says is true. Jesus is physically risen from the dead. How about the fact that there's still suffering in the world? How about the fact that there's still oppression? There's still grief. There's still death. There's still dying. What difference does it make? What difference does it make? And, and, and T. Wright had a good answer to that. He said that Jesus, when he was doing his public ministry, he kept preaching about, hey, when you're, when you're talking about the kingdom of God, this is what it looks like when God becomes king. When God becomes king. This is the kingdom of God, right? And people would say, even back then, even in the first century, well, there's still a lot of bad stuff going on. How can you say this? Caesar is ruling the world. He's occupying the Holy Land. Um, there's a lot of violence, there's a lot of bloodshed, there's a lot of suffering, there's a lot of injustice. But Jesus kept saying, no, no, no. God's kingdom is different. It's like a seed that grows in secret. It's like somebody planting a seed or a lot of seeds in a field. Some go bad, some get choked out by the weed. But hey, there's a huge harvest coming up over there. And people would say, even in the first century, if there really was a God, then he he would just sort out all the evil. He'd just get rid of the evil now. Why Why is he waiting? Why Why isn't he sorted out right now? And Jesus basically said, well, God's going to do it a different way. When he, when he roots out the evil in the world, he's not going to send in tanks. He's not going to send in, you know, fighting forces. He's going to send the poor, the brokenhearted, people who are hungry for justice, what the Beatitudes are all about, the meek, people who are willing to suffer for the truth. That's the Sermon on the Mount. And so... That's how the seed got planted. And and N.T. And Wright said, yeah, bad things do happen. Bad things are happening in the church. We know that. And he says, I know that as well as anyone, but but there's also a lot of good things that are happening as well. There's healing, there's hope, there are transformations, and all that goes back to the resurrection of Jesus. And so I, I think that's that's very true. And And people still today one of the biggest reasons or scandals or stumbling blocks why they don't come into the church is because of bad stuff happening in the world and in the church. We, all, we know this firsthand. The abuse scandals. In fact, I, I have a buddy. I'm trying to talk to him about Catholicism. He, he sends me all these texts. Have you seen this? The, the report from Maryland, which is horrific, about, about the hundreds if not thousands of children that were abused over decades at the hands of the church and her ministers, and it seems to have been swept under the carpet. And I, I'm glad that this stuff is coming out, by the way. I'm glad that they're reporting about this because this needs to get into the light. Sunlight is the best disinfectant. The cancer has to be found. It has to be excised from the church for, for the body to heal, the body of Christ. And, and But the, these are not exactly motives of credibility for the church in, in the eyes of secular men and women. But but that doesn't change the fact that, yes, there, there are wicked sinners in the church and there always have been, going back to Judas. But the resurrection is an actual event that happened, and and so it's radical. He talks about how it's radical, and he right. It's as radical today as it ever was. This message, and, and and how it changed, how things changed. That look at look at look at Peter, the night of Jesus' arrest. He he tries to. He tries to defend him with a sword. He chops off the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest. And by the way, he didn't just take a Ginsu knife and say, excuse me, can I just shave your ear off? No, he was trying to kill him. He just missed. Tried to split him in two. And we go from that to what we see in St. Stephen in chapter 7 of the book of Acts. He's being stoned to death. And he's praying. He's He's not trying to fight back. He's saying, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And, and that's the way of the cross, that's the way of the resurrection that, that, that follows after that. So I thought it was really, really good. It's great to hear this stuff being talked about in the public square in the New York Times and a uh, great interview with N.T. Wright by Tish Harrison Warren. And uh, I was really, really happy to see that. And so if you have a something that you've seen in the media that you want me to take a look at, maybe something that you think might be good. Uh, fodder for the show, why not pop me an email? The address is c a l e at relevantradio.com, 888-914-9149 is the phone number. If you want to call and have a take on this, love to hear from you. Uh, let's go now to uh, Paul in Youngstown, Ohio. Welcome back, Paul. Hi, Kale. <clears throat> I just wondered if you knew whether they were planning like a 1700-year class reunion of Nicaea. <laughs> Uh to where they would have a common date once again for uh, the Pasca. Yeah, for Easter and Paul, uh, for those of you listening, you might know Paul, he's a regular caller. he's a, he's an orthodox christian and and you're getting ready obviously, to celebrate Easter this Sunday. Uh, what we celebrated as Easter Sunday was Palm Sunday for you. And I don't know that I don't know the answer to that. I know there's been some conjecture people have um, I saw a headline the other day, but i didn't I didn't click on it that some are trying to harmonize or would like to see harmonized the date of Easter between Orthodox and Catholics. I don't know if that would ever happen. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, for me, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make too much difference for me personally. I know that Jesus did rise from the dead. That's all that really matters to me in terms of, uh, whether we're celebrating on the same day. Yeah, that's, that's a secondary consideration for me personally. But, um, but who knows? Who knows? I do you, did. You Have you been reading anything about this, Paul? Have you seen anything in the media about this? I just heard some talk about it uh, a year or so ago, and okay. I think the only difference is every four years the dates coincide, we celebrate the same, mm. yep. but uh, Orthodox Easter always has to follow Jewish Passover, whereas I think the Catholic Protestant Easter can come before or during Passover. But uh, I think that's where the difference lies. But uh, yeah, the uh, the new moons and uh, cycles of the moon and, and and all that stuff, the the, uh, uh, the spring equinox and, and all that. Yeah, it's uh, it's there's a different way of reckoning the dates. Um, but you know, for me, like I said, the, the event itself is what I'm really passionate about. You know, kind of kind of explaining and defending that. That's that's really important. And uh, you know, I'm not saying this isn't important. It's, a, it's it is an important question. Uh, especially when it comes to, hopefully, uh, please God, a future reunification um, between uh, Catholics and Orthodox Christians, that we can all uh, have one body once again. And I um, hope that does happen. That would be, that'd be wonderful. And I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if certain Orthodox groups uh, rejoined the Catholic Church, uh, came into communion once again with Rome. I could see that happening for sure. You're listening to the Cale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Got to take a quick break right now. If you're on the line, uh, please hang on. We'll try to get your call after the break. 888 Hey, I got this question for you. Do you think the tipping culture has really gotten out of hand? Uh, after the resurrection, we won't need doctors anymore, but we do need them now. It's a great profession. Has your doctor ever asked you for a tip? I'm going to tell you a wild story after the break. 888 Hang tight. Faith. Facts and fun. It's the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. 888-914-9149, toll free to talk to me. We were talking about the resurrection. Uh, Great article in the New York Times about it. Uh, Theologian, scholar N.T. Wright was interviewed about it. He's got a great take on it. He, he, He has the solid view. Yes, it's a bodily resurrection. Absolutely. We've got to get back to uh, making sure that everybody knows that. It's it's not spiritual. It's not symbolic. It really actually happened. And I wanted to talk to you about this, too. Now, as, as I said before the break, in the resurrected life, we will not need doctors anymore. We'll we'll have perfect bodies. I don't know what that's going to look like, whether we will all become, you know, I'll start to look like Arnold. I don't know. But uh, it's going to be good, no matter what. I, I'm just going to wait for the surprise when I bust out of my grave. But... Uh, for now, we do need physicians. Jesus, of course, is the good physician. St. Luke was a doctor as well. Good St. Luke. He's really interested in the medical healings. He's the guy who really makes a big deal. Hey, Jesus put the guy's ear back on after Peter cut it off. Oh, How would you do that? That's really cool. <laughs> no sutures or anything. And so speaking of doctors, th- this is a wild story. I came across this on Twitter. A woman was shocked to find that a 15% tip was added to her bill after a doctor's appointment this is unbelievable do you think tipping culture has gotten out of hand who, who should get tips what 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 occupations what what services what what professions you know, wh- where do you draw the line and I don't know I, I seem to I, I get the sense that maybe in other cultures and other countries tipping isn't that big of a deal and I'm not against tipping I'm actually, I actually I try to tip whenever whenever possible and I, I always I don't know, just me. I always try to, especially with with food service and things. I always kind of try to go twenty percent, always. Um, I know people have worked in in, in the industry, and, and I know they live on their tips, and life is not getting cheaper out there for anybody. Um, and good service deserves it, I think. But but has it gotten out of hand? Um, And, I, and I'll uh, let me just share the story. This this appeared in Evie Magazine. It's an online magazine. It's um, it was written by Nicole Dominique. It's kind of Uh, I just kind of came across this. This is um, an online mag that's targeted uh, uh, at the ladies. And uh, why would I read this? Well, I need to know how ladies think. You know, I'm married. I I need to figure out the girl brain before it's too late. But uh, anyways, here's here's the article. Let's get to the point. Let's get to the point. Nicole Dominique talked about a Florida woman who received a bill after a doctor's appointment. And it added, it had added a 15% tip. And she provide, it's, this is a real story. She actually showed the screenshot, and it was a clinic in Orlando, not naming the clinic, not naming the practitioner, not naming the doctor for privacy reasons. And she, she couldn't pay at the desk after, after the appointment because she didn't have her HSA card with her, and that, that stands for health savings account. And some of you guys know about this. Some of you guys have one of those. And so she didn't have her HSA card. She was waiting for it to arrive. I can't pay at the moment. Can you just bill me? Yeah, no problem. So they sent her an electronic invoice by email. And then she noticed something really weird. The subtotal was was $1,539.22. And it came with an automatic tip added to this of 15%, which came to $230.88. So the grand total... Was one thousand seven hundred and seventy dollars and ten cents. Wow, wow! And, and she was quoted as saying, "This patient. It was kind of like they flipped the iPad on me, and that's a reference to if you've been to a restaurant or if you've been to a store. Sometimes they have these electronic point-of-sale purchase uh, thingies, like a Square app, or, or some. Sometimes they they use a Square app on, on the iPad, and, and you just kind of pay there, and very often a tip if 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 you're not paying attention, the tip is automatically added to the bill and you can choose to decline it if you want. But if you don't notice it, you're just going to pay the tip. So she's provided the the electronic copy of the, she's blacked out the name of the the clinic, but yeah, 15% tip was added on at the doctor's office. And so she, there was an option she could deny the tip, but she said, man, if, you, if you're like sort of an older individual, if you're going to the doctor and you're not sort of tech savvy, if you're not hip to all this stuff, you might easily pay this by accident, even if you don't want to. And she said, quote, if I was older and not familiar with it, I definitely would have just accidentally paid it, which is insane. End of quote. So I don't know. I, I, I don't know what you think about this. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Has tipping culture gotten out of control? 888-914-9149, scale Clark show on relevant radio well a uh, a product design veteran was quoted in this article talking about how a lot of electronic payment apps automatically will suggest a tip and that puts a lot of pressure on customers to you know who have to decide they have to physically make sure that they opt out of it and and ted selker who's a veteran of the industry product design he said it's coercion end of quote it's coercion well, what do you, what do you think about this has it gone too far um Maybe some doctors are listening out there. You want to weigh in on this? Um, do you think it, Do you think it's legit? And, and I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it's maybe it's tougher out there than than we think it is for medical professionals. They've got to pay overhead. They've got to pay staff. They've got to pay rent. They've got to pay all, all this stuff. And I, I've never heard of this before, tipping in the medical industry. But that that's that's a new one on me. 888-914-9149. nine one four nine one four nine. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Faith, facts, and fun. Speaking of fun, I I can't wait to watch the game tonight uh, between the Chicago Bulls and the Toronto Raptors. Wow, playoff game, play-in game. It's part of the play-in tournament. And uh, Chuck Swirsky, our good friend Chuck Swirsky, stopped by yesterday. He was so kind. Uh, He's going to be broadcasting the game uh, for 670, the score in Chicago. He's the official Chicago Bulls play-by-play guy and just an incredible believer in Christ and, and just really, really uh, encouraged us yesterday, uh, called it, gave us a little preview of the NBA playoffs and, and what to expect, I, I, some key series, who he thinks is going to make it to the finals. He, he thinks it's going to be the Grizzlies against the Bucks, And uh, we'll see. It's quite possible. But he'll be broadcasting the game tonight. I can't wait. I think it's going to be super, super exciting. And uh, if you missed that interview, by the way, you can check the podcast on relevantradio.com, The Relevant Radio app. And Patrick Alog, who's who's actually taking calls for us today, Uh, you can talk to him about this if you want to call. 888-914-9149. His Los Angeles Lakers won last night against the T-Wolves. T-Wolves still have another shot Friday night. Our good friend Greg Farnham, um, head uh, athletic trainer for the T-Wolves, big fan of relevant radio. He'll he'll get another crack at it on Friday night uh, in Minneapolis. Uh, They're not done yet. Got another chance, but the Lakers are going to go on to play. The Memphis Grizzlies in round two, Patrick Alock's Los Angeles Lakers. So he's happy, he's excited, and hopefully you are as well. You can also email me, show ideas, questions, kale at relevantradio.com. I want to share with you an email I got today uh, from a deacon. And he asked me about, this is Deacon Anthony, uh, writing from Chicago. He's listening in Chicago on 950 AM WNTD. And here's what he said. He said, quote, I've speculated about the detail that Paul stayed with Peter for 15 days. Why 15 days? Why is 15 days important? Then one day it dawned on me, one day it dawned on me to ask the following question. How many days would it take to attend three consecutive Sunday Eucharists? The answer is 15. I think it took three Sunday Eucharists before Peter and the other disciples could fully accept Paul into the early Jerusalem church. You're with us for one Eucharist, two Eucharists. Are you really with us? Three Eucharists. What do you think? End of quote. Okay, that's an interesting, interesting question, Deacon Anthony. I've never thought about it like that. Uh, whether they're kind of all right, all right. We're going to put you through a test here. If you can, if you can hang with us for three masses, three Sundays in a row, then then you're in. Because uh, we don't trust you. You were out trying to arrest and kill Christians just uh, a little while ago. I, I I don't I don't know I. I that seems like it might be a little speculative. I think, I think the truth is a, a lot more basic than that, a lot more, you know, I think, it just, just, I think he just stayed with Peter for as long as he can. You can read about this in Galatians chapter 1, by the way, when St. Paul says that, by the way, Christ revealed the gospel to him from heaven. He was already ascended into heaven. He didn't meet Jesus on earth. Uh he didn't meet Peter. He had to hang out with Peter and James and John and, and get to know them, get to know what Jesus earthly life was all about. So I think was, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall for those conversations for those 15 days. Well, we'll talk about that much more uh over these coming days when it comes to Easter. Let's go. Let's go to Dr. Steve. I asked a question about doctors and tipping. Dr. Steve is on the line from Northern Michigan. Dr. Steve, what do you think? I think the bills fraudulent. Fraudulent. Yeah, fraudulent. So the usual bill for even for a complex physical exam for Medicare guidelines is about 200 to 300 dollars tops. Mm. So that's how that's how much we get paid as a family doctor for those services. Okay. That's how much we bill Medicare. So we bill Medicare about 200 uh, 250 to 300 bucks for a complete complex new physical examination and we get about 30 we get about 75% of that. Oh wow! Okay, okay. Hey, thank, so thanks. Thanks for the call. She's paying that with a tip. It's a giant fraud, and and hey. uh, Florida is, is number one in fraud in the nation. Wow! Wow! That that's 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 a, that's an angle on that that I hadn't thought of. That the whole thing was fraudulent. It's quite possible. Well, I'll tell you what. There's nothing fraudulent about the resurrection of Jesus, which we talked about earlier. Sorry, Ellen. We'll try to call back tomorrow, uh, and you can call back tomorrow as well. Thanks for joining me today on the Kale Clark Show. We got to get out. Timmy's up next. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.